The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 99 for April 9th, 2007. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the last of the single, the double digit episodes of the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. Uh, hi, John. Hi, Dave. Take two. <laughs> we like take two. Uh, take two is often the best take of the evening. Yeah. And you know, we, uh, yeah, because we were, uh, you know, I had a little slip up there on who's, uh, who's going to do the intro. But, um, you know, we should probably talk about that for... Um, yeah, we'll talk about it Should later. We? We're, we're going to yeah, do. We'll talk we're, about it later. We're going to kind of do something different for the next show, but not not too far off the beaten path. Um, I don't know about you, John, but I got uh, a bunch of snow this past week. Nope. I'm going to start off with a related not story me. here. Yeah, so we got a bunch of snow Wednesday night, and at about and it was it what it did is it sleeted all day uh, on Wednesday oh, all man. afternoon, and then it turned to snow, which of course meant that the trees got really really wet. And then the snow piled on it, which, of course, means that the trees were really heavy. And we had some trees that were, you know, touching down in our driveway. It was actually quite beautiful seeing the, the way that, you know, the, the, yeah. the tree, the snow-covered trees were. But uh, at about 2 a.m., our power went out, uh, which was fine. So it got up about 7, sort of realized that school was canceled, but figured, okay, well, I'll, I'll blaze a trail across the driveway with the snowblower and fire up the generator, right? First time to uh, to be able to use it to... To do this, and so I did. Yeah, how'd, the, how'd the snow on top of the ice thing work out? Well, uh, or was what, it ice? Yeah. Well, it was just snow on top of slush. It, it wasn't really ice. It was just you know slush, and so it was a, it was a big mess. Okay, no skating rink. Okay. No, no skating rink. That's right. No, it wasn't. It wasn't cold enough to be a skating rink. That was the problem. So, mm -hmm. uh, so you know, got the generator going, and it was fine. You know, when you get a UPS and it comes with that USB cable to plug into your Mac so that your Mac knows when to shut down when the UPS is uh, is there. Is on, yeah, you know, I know. It's on UPS power. Yeah. Most, uh, they appear in the energy saver, I think. That's right, uh, yeah. So, an additional setting to say, all right, if you're, yeah, if you're getting low on power, please tell me so I can turn off. Duh. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, OS X supports this, and most UPSs, the APC brand especially. Uh, and that's what I have here. And on most of my Macs, I've got it plugged in so that the Mac knows, okay, the UPS is about to run out of, out of back, battery backup power. Let's, you know, let's let's go down. But I didn't do that on my laptop because I figured, well, my laptop just knows what to do. It's got its own battery, and, and that's fine. And any other time the power's gone out, this has been fine. Mm -hmm. However, at 2 a.m., my computer, my laptop, does a backup every day, which is fine. The backup started. Now, the UPS that... Uh, that powers everything around the laptop. The laptop isn't powered by UPS, but the UPS that powers everything around the laptop started counting down, right? Started using battery power. And I back up to an external FireWire drive. That night, it happened to be the FireWire. It's a round-robin kind of thing. But that night, it happened to be the FireWire drive that also stores my iTunes music library. Well, the backup's going, and the laptop's chugging away because the laptop's got, you know, its own battery power, and it's going, it's fine, it's fine. And then suddenly the drive just stopped working because the power in the UPS died. So there was no power to run the drive anymore. And the next day on generator power, when I spun up that drive, 
nada, nothing. I tried every utility I could find, nothing. Uh, so I lost the entire contents of that drive, which meant my entire 93 gigabyte iTunes music library. Thankfully, once a week, I back up my iTunes music library to another FireWire drive. So it was one day old. And uh, the good news was I was able to just copy the, you know, I reformatted the, the, the dead drive, copied the stuff back to it to where it, it was, and iTunes totally picked up. The only thing it didn't have, of course, was the few podcasts that it had downloaded in the 24 or so hours between when it did the backup and, of course, when the drive was lost. Mm -hmm. So backups are a good thing. And multiple Backups. Multiple backups, yes. In different places. Yes. Never trust a single backup, I guess, which I don't really live by that too uh, <laughs> rigorously. <laughs> well, it's only because you haven't been caught with your pants down. Uh, I, I almost lost everything. Uh, and this was probably, this was back in 95, 96, uh, and spent about four hours on a Saturday rebuilding my main drive and staring at this zip drive that I had at the time. That I could have been backing up to, but but just hadn't. And uh, since that day, I have backed up daily, uh, as, as though it were a religion, because uh, it kind of is. But moving off the backup subject and on to a uh, another one that's near and dear near to our, near and dear to our hearts is email. And so we've got two questions, and I believe the answer is related for the two. So I'm going to play the first one and read the second, and we'll go from there. Hey, John and Dave, this is Matt Bonjour calling from Madison, Wisconsin. And I have a question regarding uh, IMAP mail. Um, I, we have a exchange server and I want to use mail to connect to it rather than entourage, which I find kind of annoying sometimes. Um, and so I have uh, IMAP settings in mail. Um, when I'm within our network, I, when I'm at my office, um, I need. I have to connect using port 25, um, and when I am out of the office, I when I'm on my home network, uh, uh, my ISP delights in frustrating me by blocking uh, port 25, which I still don't really understand why. Um, of course, it's money related, but I was wondering if there was a way to automatically change or to some small app or some Apple script or something that would enable me to change the port in my account preferences in mail so that every time I move from the office to home, you know, which is twice a day, I don't have to go into mail preferences to change it by hand, which is coming a little frustrating with all of that. So anyway, um, here's a bit where I give you my contact details. And that's the oh. bit where I'll jump to Nicholas's email where he asks, uh, Hi guys, this is Nicholas Morafi from around the world again. I need a hand with this. I have a local mail account from my country, and I can get all my mails, but I can't send any mail except when I send a mail to myself in Apple's mail program. I have a MacBook Pro Core Duo. Uh, the internet connection comes from a router with a Linksys, uh, and I'm going to skip here because it doesn't matter. He says, uh, The strange thing is, when I make a dial-up connection, I can send emails from the account with no problems, but I can't do that from the wireless connection over broadband. <clears throat> and uh, it goes on to explain some more about his setup. So, uh, there's a couple of questions asked here, especially by Matt. First and foremost, though, the, the big lesson here, 
is most mail servers, especially if you're not authenticating to them, require you to connect. Uh, you need to connect from a known group of IP addresses, right? And so that, this is that's Nicholas's problem. Maybe the, maybe the answers here are related, but not the same. So Nicholas's problem is that he's trying to connect to a mail server for one internet provider while he's connected to another internet provider. And the mail server says, well, wait a minute, you're coming from a, a group of addresses that isn't in my authorized list. So I'm just going to deny it because you might be some spammer and I don't know, and we're just going to not let you send mail. If, however, there is a way to authenticate with that mail server, that may be a way to get around it. Using SSL is kind of a, an automatic way to authenticate. So if the server supports that, that may be the way in. Do you have something to add here, John, before we move on to Matt's stuff? Um, well, I think the thing you were talking about before, just to add to that, is uh, I think you were talking about SMTP relaying is Correct. Uh, what you're running into and what is what should be disabled. And I believe this is the source of much grief for people worldwide is people who leave their uh, SMTP outgoing email server um, to just accept anything from anybody. Right. Uh, is where most and I, I think you know what these guys do is actively search for mail servers that are in config, uh, configured incorrectly and right. allow relaying and, right and then they get pounded until they notice that the machine's crawling and people are shaking their fists that's right yeah yeah so uh however if your provider doesn't allow you a way to authenticate uh and you want to use something that allows you to send mail from anywhere and this could this could apply to matt as well Instead of using either the exchange server at Matt's office or Nicholas's dial-up provider to send mail, go get an account with any one of the free email services, and Gmail is certainly one that will work for this, and use that to send all your mail. You don't have to receive mail through it. Uh, you can go into Gmail and set what your reply to address will be so that it's totally masked, but that's one way of... of uh, of getting around this and Gmail, of course, you can send mail securely, but you have to authenticate. And then that way you can send mail from wherever you're connected, assuming, and this goes to Matt's problem, that port 25 is not blocked. Now, Matt says that uh, that his provider at home is blocking port, port 25, which is the port through which most people send mail. He's saying that it's being blocked because of, of money. And well, everything happens because of money. Uh, that's not that's, that's not the main reason. It's it, it's what John just described. It's the spammers, and more specifically, the fact that a lot of viruses will and Trojan horses will cause open relays. And this is particularly on Windows machines. I don't think we've seen any of this on Macs, but. If you've got a virus or a Trojan horse running on your Windows machine, it could be set to relay mail out, and what it would do is send mail out on port 25. So to ensure that that doesn't happen, most ISPs nowadays, not most, some, are, are blocking outbound port 25 traffic. You can send mail to their mail server on port 25, but nothing else. Uh, and that's exactly the problem that Matt's running into. Isn't that right, John? Don't you think? Okay. So there are alternate ways of doing this. We mentioned SSL. Uh, if you can configure, in Matt's case, configure connecting to his exchange server using SSL, that would use port force or securely, which might be TLS instead. I, I forget. Uh, but that would 
automatically use a different port 465. If not, you might also be able to use port 587, which is an alternate for mail submission and these days is considered the preferred port for mail submission, but uh, it's not as, it's it's pretty widely used, just not 100%. Right? You don't say. I don't say. Did I say? <laughs> now, another thing, um, I'll, I'll toss something in here. More, more to Matt's question. He, he was wondering, I think, about how to switch yeah sound and the thing is i know with eudora that they have the concept of personalities where depending on you know which email address uh, or which account you use it it can though not always but it has the uh, ability to uh use a different smtp server depending right. on where uh now, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking through mail. I'm not a, a big Apple mail. mail. I don't use mail at all. Apple Mail does, too. It, it has that ability, and you can actually have um, multiple mail servers, outbound mail servers configured, and have them hmm. have your okay. accounts slash personalities default to a certain one, but when that one won't work, it'll come up and ask you if you want to use a different one. My question for Matt is, whatever port he's changing to, and I'm going to assume he's probably changing to port 587 if he's not using 25 at home, why can't you just continue to use port 587 when you're at the office that that would i mean my guess is if it accepts mail on that port when you're outside the network wouldn't it stand a reason that it would also accept mail on that port when you're inside the network so just change it for whatever the outgoing the out the external port is and then at that point you should be fine regardless of where you are i hope I hope too. And I think that, in general, um, if you're scratching your head over the name of your SMTP server, I think we mentioned this before. Oh, yeah. I think it's always a, a handy tip. But I think one of my favorite uh, services is uh, what is, I think it's what is my IP. What is my IP.com? And I think they have so. And, and it'll tell your IP address when you have that. Then you have a place to start, probably doing a uh, NS lookup or something newer uh, to find out. Uh, what your domain name is. And once you do that, then a lot of times you can tack on either smtp.whatever.whatever or mail.whatever.whatever, which I've, I've done because I typically, I don't have a, uh, you know, roving mail server. Well, I guess Gmail. I don't use you it can... too often. But usually I try to find the one on the network that, that I'm joining, a hotel network or a show network or something like that. You can always use TMOs, John. Um, or backbeats, rather. But, uh, so what John's saying is, yeah, you look up your address with whatismyip.com, and then using the data there, and if, if I go there now, I think it simply tells you what your IP address is. It doesn't do a lookup on it. So once you get your IP address, go to the terminal, type nslookup, uh, Nancy Simon lookup, space, and then that address, and you'll see... Uh, it return something. Mine returns a whole big long string, and then it says .nh for presumably New Hampshire .comcast.net. It's the last two that you're looking at, and like John said, mm -hmm. you might try using mail. In my case, Comcast.net or smtp.comcast.net, and that's a good way of finding your mail server, especially when you're in a hotel or or something like that. So, anything to add before we move on to Phil here? Absolutely nothing. Nope. Good. Well, I don't know that we have an answer for Phil, so this might be a quick one, but uh, we'll see what happens. Hi, John and Dave. This is Phil in Hollywood, Florida. I've got a question about Apple Mail. I know you talked about mail a good bit several months ago, but I've got a question about just how I can set it up to do what I wanted to do. Here's the, here's the deal. I'm right now using Entourage 
on my MacBook Pro. I have a Office email. When I connect to my email at the uh, server at the office, I have one setting. And in Entourage, when I go home, I have another setting on the computer called Office at Home, the way I have it set up, using the same incoming email address, but of course going out through a different uh, mail server. Uh, the question is, Apple won't let me set up two accounts with the same email address. It wants to name the account by the email address. Is there a way around this, or am I just missing something? Great podcast. Love the show. Keep it up. Thanks a lot. No, Phil, you're not missing anything. And, and what Phil's talking about here is you can name the accounts whatever you like, but the files on the disk uh, in your home library mail folder are named after your email address and the type of account that it's using. So the thought that I had is perhaps you could set up a, uh, an account that had your email address connecting via POP or one connecting via IMAP and mm. yeah, and, and assign different mail servers to each one. And that might be a way of getting around this. Uh, I don't, I mean, it, it's worth a shot, but mail is, is funny that way. Yeah. It, it, each email address, regardless of what you name your own name in there. I mean, for me, I could do, you know, Dave Hamilton and David Hamilton if I wanted to try and duplicate it, but mail wouldn't care. It's just going to use, you know, Dave at MacObserver.com or whatever the address is. But if I'm, and I'm looking here at, at uh, in library mail, yeah, the name of the folder in this case would be IMAP dash Dave at MacObserver.com. And, uh, and so by making it a pop account, you might have pop dash Dave at MacObserver.com. And that might be enough to have two accounts with the same address, but different mail servers assigned to each. So there you go. Or perhaps Phil could take a hint from our previous answer and simply use one outbound mail server everywhere. Um, there you go. So anything to add to that, John? Zero zilch. You sure about that? Mm. Yes. Okay. Our sponsor for this week's show is Barebones Software, and today we're talking about BB Edit. Again, another piece of software that I use religiously. Uh, in fact, I used it to create the HTML page that becomes our show notes, uh, or at least the shell for our show notes, and then and then John will fill that in with uh, with whatever he does. But BB Edit is a text editor. But so much more than that, it, it gives you total control over what you're doing, allowing you to work your way. It's fully supporting all kinds of different standards, HTML, CSS, PHP, C code, uh, Java, JavaScript. As soon as it realizes what language you're typing in, it begins uh, highlighting the text and not, not reformatting unless you tell it to giving you hints and nods as to how things are, are laid out. If you've got a function or, or in HTML, if you've got an element and you double click the end of the element, it will highlight all the text in the middle so you can see where your tags are balanced. Uh, we, it, there's, it, it's, it's really quite amazing. There, there, there's no parallel on the uh, Windows platform. In fact, some people actually wind up using a Mac simply so they can code with BB edit. Uh, it, very flexible. It's got version 8.6 and later, I think, eight, well, the current version, and, and maybe even 8.5, but I think 8.6 and later. 
support what's called clippings, and that allows you to have different snippets of code, and this can be HTML code or CSS code or whatever you want, and you can have it so that, uh, let's say you want to have a clipping that bolds text or a clipping that include, that drops an HTML anchor, highlight your text, go to the clipping, boom, you're done. Uh, BB Edit, it, I couldn't live without it. Um, and I'm not saying that because they told me to. In fact, they just gave me some of these talking points. I say it because it's true. They've got FTP support built in, so you can open files directly on an FTP server, and I haven't found any other programming text editor for, for Mac OS X that, that will do that uh, as well as BB Edit does. So BB Edit from Barebones Software at, uh, at barebones.com. Dave, John, like their, hello, uh, this is Alex from New York. Um, I have a question about iTunes. I'm trying to update my podcast, and what happened is uh, when it starts to download two or three podcasts, audio or video, it will stop because it will disconnect me from the internet. Um, I see that uh, the Wi-Fi is still on. Uh, but I physically have to unplug the router from power and put it back in to get any internet back into my network. I thought it was a problem with the router, so I had a D-Link, I bought a Netgear, and it seems to be the same problem. I was wondering if there is some port settings maybe I have to change with iTunes or uh, something else that... So I can finish downloading, actually, my podcasts. Um, keep up the good work. I love the show. It's probably the most helpful show for Mac users, and uh, I've been uh, listening it since the beginning. Flattery will get you everywhere, Alex, or at the very least, it'll get your question answered. That's right. <laughs> Do you have so a thought on this, downloading. John? Oh, gosh. So, it sound, uh, so if I heard it correctly, it, start, it sounds like he's starting to download, and then it just kind of grinds to a halt and he has to, to reset to get it to yeah Ew. okay uh well to, to me something's broken yeah to me I'm, what i'm hearing oh. is his connection is is getting uh filled up right i mean we're he's using a hundred percent of of the bandwidth available but and but simply by nature of downloading three podcasts simultaneously which is what itunes will do i mean is it a Quality of service thing. I mean, that's what I was I was suspecting though. But I don't know what if, he's. If it was, you'd think that once the mm. download stopped, everything would be okay again. Yeah. So I I'm thinking there's a there's a hardware problem with the cable modem, and when it hits its mm. peak bandwidth, it just heats up and 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 dies. Sounds strange, but uh, uh, that, okay, I'm with you on that. Or well, I guess another thing which may lead to a future question but uh yeah it sounds like when he's stressing the network at maximum capacity what i'm suggesting is yep. maybe uh cabling oh okay yeah could have some you know marginal cabling and, and a lot of cabling you're not going to know there's a problem unless you uh start really you know filling the fire hose full of uh full of water there so yep. uh so it may not manifest itself until uh i don't know if there's any any lights he could look at to see if there's you know or stats to see if there's a lot of errors or retries or uh you know, depending on the equipment, I don't know if there's a, a yeah. MIP or something that you can query to say, you know, are you having, uh, yeah, if there's a light somewhere and it's it's red, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
but I'm just thinking, you know, chintzy cabling or, or yep. cabling that's uh, been chewed on by the, you know, whatever an animal you have wandering about. Yeah, if you've um, got a if you've got a spare Ethernet cable, swap that out. My guess is your new router probably would have come with one, so you might have one there to uh, to test it with. Otherwise, call your your broadband provider and see if they can't get you a new modem to uh, to test with. Now you may be able. Now this is another thing to check. I don't know if we talked about this. Uh... Oh, we talked about it a while ago, but you can query your cable modem. A lot of cable modems allow you oh, to yeah. go to them. Oh, I forgot the address. It's 192. If you go into a web browser and type 192.168.100.1. There we go. And it already matches All right, yep. in uh, Safari, so I, I had that. And, um, well, see what the screen says. I mean, depending on, I mean, some of them really lock it down. Mine, I get a basic... Uh, you know, status page, and it says, you know, operational, and it shows DB levels for uh, receive and transmit power. They may mean something to your uh, provider. You know, like some of them here, you know, I click on log, and it says this feature is not enabled because oh, really? they didn't want me to learn the truth. Oh, that stinks, man. <laughs> well, it depends on the provider. But, it, it yeah, I mean, a actually, it's funny because they have a whole bunch of buttons on the top here. The only one that works is system. There's a signal button, and it says sorry, a status button. So, What, what brand cable modem do you have? To Scientific Atlanta. Oh, I don't like those. I've never yeah, it's had, funny because, I've never had well, good luck with them. Throw it away. Well, I think OptOnline, well, you know, <laughs> it's the one my provider gave me. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, cable cards in my TiVo. So uh, I think Cablevision has a deal going with these guys. Throw what it all think? away. Throw your TiVo away while you're at it. Okay, I'll throw away all my cable TV and yep. my internet connection. That's my, right. My very fast... You know, that makes sense. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Jo John, are you still done. there? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it could be a whole bunch of things, but uh, yeah, having to reset. Yeah, having to reset the cable modem, me to me, tells me that, well, that get a new cable modem. <sighs> yeah, or flaky cable. That's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, depending on where yeah. he's at. I mean, when I lived in the sticks, we did have uh, things chew on the cable on the... Sometimes, yeah, we just the, the lights would flash, and, and I wasn't quite sure why until one guy said, "Gee, well, it's because you know <laughs> your cable's deteriorating." So yeah, oh, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you were living way out in the sticks. Did you have bears? Yeah, we had const constantly like clawing at your windows at night while you slept. Much, yeah, kind of like you got now. Yeah. But hey, wait a minute. You know the, you know, the grizzlies and uh, and all that. But we, we had a long run. It was grizzlies. about grizzlies. What are you talking what? about? We have black bears. At least a brown, brown bear bears. or black bears. Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No polar bears. This no, there's no polar bears here, man. You <laughs> said it was snowing. All right, Chad writes in, I am a recent Chad. Windows convert. I love my okay. Mac. Uh, I love my iMac. I have a 24-inch uh, Intel Core 2 Duo with 2 gigs of RAM. Before I converted, I had iTunes on my Sony Windows machine, and I synced my iPod to that. I kept, and still keep, all of my iTunes music on a 160-gigabyte external hard drive. However, now that I have 500 gigabytes of storage on the iMac, I would like to move the iTunes folder to the iMac hard drive and point to it with iTunes. But when I copied everything over, changed the location in the iTunes preferences, unmounted the external hard drive, and closed and reopened iTunes, the majority of my library was listed as unable to find the original file. When I remounted the external hard drive, closed and reopened iTunes, it was all there and playable again, even though the iTunes advanced preference pane still says that my iTunes music folder location is on the internal hard drive. I copied all of the iTunes folder contents from the external hard drive to the iTunes folder in the internal hard drive. It is all there, but I don't want to have to go and locate each of the 5,000 plus songs that are in my library when iTunes asks me if I want to locate the song now. So, am I doing something wrong? And 
is there a way to make iTunes see the music in the internal hard drive so that I can free up some space on my external for backups and other such stuff? Chad, the answers to your questions are resounding yeses. We are in the affirmative. We are? We are. Yeah, so uh, what happens here is when you set the location for your iTunes library, it doesn't change anything other than the location for new songs that iTunes controls. And by that, I mean, if you have iTunes set, if you go into your advanced uh, settings there into the general, and you have the copy files to iTunes music folder when adding to library box checked, then, in fact, iTunes will, as you add songs to the library, make a copy of them and put them in wherever you've chosen it to go. However, if that box is unchecked, iTunes will not copy files into the folder. When you drag them in, it'll just drop a reference to it, and it'll stay where it is. So, there's two things you need to make sure that have happened. Uh, and on Ch in Chad's case, I'm kind of guessing that that box is checked. So that's number one. Number two, when you change the iTunes music folder location, do not copy the files there manually. Create a brand new folder, change, uh, you know, change the location in, in the advanced preferences of iTunes to that folder, and then click OK, and then go to the advanced menu in iTunes and say consolidate library. What this will do is it will drag everything, all of the files that iTunes knows about wherever they may be and copy them into the iTunes library. It will copy them into the, the, the currently set iTunes library. So at that point, it'll take a while because it's going to copy everything from your 160 gigabyte drive into the 500 gigabyte drive. And, uh, and then iTunes will know where everything is. It will have remapped all of that. At that point, test everything, and assuming you're happy, then you can go ahead and delete the files off of your 160-gigabyte uh, drive to, to free up space there and use it for whatever you like. Do you like that, John? Good one. So yeah. it sounds like, yeah, sometimes it's a... Well, I looked and mine is checked, so that mm -hmm. sounds like a good thing. Yeah. So you don't have all this fragmentation or stuff scattered about. Yeah, and I even... I find, you know, and again, like I said, I, I have iTunes, my iTunes library on an external drive. It actually happens to be a, a 160 gigabyte drive as well. And I put it all back there after the, the you know, the, the little incident the other day with the, the power. Um, but because it's on an external drive, if I'm somewhere else and, and my computer connects and iTunes is open and it notices a new podcast, it's going to download it. Now, if iTunes is set to put everything on an external drive and it doesn't see that drive... It's going to copy, it's going to download everything or put files into your home uh, music iTunes library folder. I think it's, I think that's what it is, Where, wherever that goes. A home, uh, let me find it for you. Home music iTunes, iTunes music folder is where it goes. Uh, and I find that that happens occasionally. So maybe once a month or so when I'm in iTunes, I'll just hit that advanced consolidate library and it'll copy everything that's on the, uh, you know, on the local drive out to that external drive and then I can go and delete the uh, the contents of that folder do not delete the iTunes folder mm -hmm. just delete the contents of the iTunes music folder it'll make your life a whole lot better uh, after you do the consolidation obviously if you do it before you'll be deleting the live files and that may not be what you want to do which you can recall from your backup that you that's right. just made that you just made yeah backups are very handy all right so yeah, Quinn that's a good one Quinn yes Let's see what uh, what Quinn has to say. I think you've got some thoughts on this here, John. Hey, guys. This is Quinn from Florida. Had a quick question about external hard disks. 
I purchased a while back a Lassie Mini to send underneath my Mac Mini, and it plugs in via Firewire. It also has this expansion Firewire port that they say you can hook up other drives to it. After dealing with some broken Western Digital drives, I finally got another 320 gigabyte drive to help out because my Lassie's original drive only had 160 gigs. When I connected the D2 uh, triple interface drive into the Lassie Mini drive via its expansion firewire port, it wouldn't get recognized. I tried plugging into the port on my Mac Mini and that worked, but I just seemed I just would like to connect both drives at the same time via firewire. I hope you guys can figure out some kind of solution. Uh, it's an Intel Mac Mini, so hope you guys can find something like a firewire hub or something that'll help me out thanks love the show bye you want to take this one john i'm going to start with a an assumption here so so it sounds to me like the, the problem is that the lacia uh, mini doesn't have the juice yo what i'm suspecting oh. and this is you see where i'm going with this. i do see where you're again going sometimes i i you know being a engineering type of guy you know start at the beginning and and eliminate all possibilities in my experience, and the reason I love FireWire drives, is that they can typically power themselves off of the computer device that they're connected to. And I looked at the specific drive he was talking about, and this drive does have an external power supply. Right. I think there's a reason for that. Because sometimes, if you're, especially I think if he's daisy-chaining off of the, uh, the Mac Mini into this drive, I'm suspecting that th there's not enough juice for it to daisy-chain without power. So what, what I'm getting at is... If the drive has a, if, if it's not, I'm suspecting, I'm going to guess that the drive did not have the external power supply plugged in. Uh, I, Therefore, I, I, it's. Yeah, I'm, hmm? I'm going to say, I'm going to say that's impossible. No? Yeah, only because it, in looking at the specs for the Lassie mini drive, it, okay. it, I believe it's a, a, a full size drive. And full-size drives cannot be power cannot be bus powered. Only the little laptop drives can be bus powered. There's not enough power on the FireWire bus to spin up a uh, a full-size hmm. drive. So I, my my experience and my guess would tell me that he's at least got external power plugged into the Lassie Mini. But well, if he does, then I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm scratching my head. But it may not be passing that you know enough of that. Well, but again, if he's got a 300 gig drive. That's also going to require external power. So, yeah, I think it. I think it's probably both. But who knows? It could be something wrong. I've had some weirdness with, and I've got a couple of external FireWire drives in my main office setup. I've had weirdness with how they they relay data to each other and stuff. I, I think a lot of these interface boards in that are built that are baked into these you know uh, FireWire drive cases aren't. Mm -hmm aren't always the you know the, the most reliable um so I, yeah and actually actually another thing is uh, my buddy you know i remember running into this with my buddy josh and i think he may have had a firewire cd drive and a, and a hard drive okay and i think it came up that if we you know it's kind of hokey but we cycled power i think on the first device connected yeah. to the uh to the computer and then turned it back on and it reset something and magically both devices then appeared so I like yeah. magic. Yeah, me too. So, so a few things to look at. Number one, if if any of the drives have external power that's not plugged in, try to plug it in. It may give you that extra oomph. Yep. 
Uh, again, cables. You may have some chintzy cables there. You know, well, make sure they they are actually. Mm. Well, no, he said he plugged the drive in directly, but it, you know, there's differences on FireWire. There's six pin and four pin. Of course, the six pin carries power. The four pin does not. Right. Uh, but it sounds like he verified that. So, um, which which annoyed the heck out of me when that happened. I thought yes. FireWire, hooray! The great thing is that all cables carry power, and someone had to come out with four pin. Not so much. That's right. Well, it's the DV world, right? I mean, that's where the four pin stuff started coming from. So yeah, iLink and Sony yeah, and all that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so what? Yeah, and and then the other solution is you were looking for a FireWire hub, Quinn, and the your concept is right. I believe the term is FireWire repeater, and that may be why you were unable to find it. Uh, because of the way FireWire works, it, it's not really a hub. It is a repeater. I've got a Belkin one uh, that I use and works great. It's It's got external power, but it doesn't actually require it. I, I provide it to it uh, so that it's got everything it needs, but it's got six FireWire ports on it, and one of them plugs into the Mac, and the other five can go to whatever devices you want. And, and that way you've got home runs to each device, or you can have home runs to each device, and that makes life a whole lot simpler. That's a that's how I run things down in and, the office there. So, and does it have an external power supply? Yes. Okay, to give it the yeah. juice. To give I it still the juice. Think yeah. I think it's about the juice. It might be. But, um, now, yeah. Now you know what's funny though the the term uh, a, a mini tangent here, but FireWire Hub implies that you can do networking over FireWire, and I don't think it really ever took off. But I understand you can do IP over FireWire. Absolutely. I haven't actually tried it. Um, have you? Yeah. Works fine. Actually, it works really okay. well. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's fast. I'll have to try it maybe. So should I be able, <clears throat> excuse me, between my uh, trusty G4 and my G5, so I should be able to connect the two. Absolutely. If you, cable if you go, huh. yeah, I'll have if to you try go, it. I've, I've never had a reason to try it. Yeah, if you go into network port configurations, you should be able to add mm -hmm. a, uh, a FireWire port. Uh, if you go to, you know, System Preferences Network, and if it's not listed there, click on or System Preferences Network, and then from the Show menu, choose Network Port Configurations. And if it's not listed there, uh, it's called Built-in FireWire. Uh, choose New, and you can add a built-in FireWire connection, and uh, yep. then configure yeah, it up see and you're right, good to go. Here right now. Yep. I don't know. You know, maybe because I think my assumption is in the past is a, a, I think there have been occasions where I tried to plug a. Uh, Mac into a uh, PC, not so much for that, but for target disk mode, sure. which we talked about last sure. time. Sure, yeah, target disk mode is happening. simpler, yeah, for sure, yeah. But I think Windows doesn't know what that is. That's right, yeah. It's just a Mac thing. That is. But yeah, Mac so uh, so yeah, fire, yeah, FireWire is pretty zippy. Yeah, four hundred megabits, megabits, mega, yes, bits. Or eight hundred for, well, that didn't really take off. FireWire eight hundred. Uh some people are using it. It's, Do you it's, have any uh, discs or anything? No, thank goodness, because I have uh, one of the first-generation MacBook Pros, which doesn't have FireWire 800, so uh, thank goodness I didn't invest in that stuff. But, uh, you know, for, for folks doing lots of, I guess audio would be the, the place where, it, may, maybe a lot of video, too, but you'd have to, you'd, 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 yeah. you'd need to be using a lot of video simultaneously to need FireWire, mm -hmm. FireWire 800, but. Yeah. All right. So you know, I was pondering more about what we should do for you know the the big uh, triple digit show, show number one hundred. Yeah. So so it is fascinating that we've that we've been doing this this long. One of you folks fascinating. Sent, 
That's like shocking. <laughs> I can't believe I still want to talk to you every week. Um, <laughs> did that come out loud? Uh, so, <laughs> one of you folks sent in a, a comment saying, you know, it'd be cool for your 100th episode if you folks, if you guys, talked through your computers. You know, what computers you guys had and, and sort of the experience that... that uh, experiences that we shared and and had along the way and of course there's some stuff that that certainly needs to remain classified uh but the, most of it can be discussed we weren't and, supposed to talk about the classified stuff well that's right pay no pay no attention to what's behind the curtain uh so so that is what we're going to do next week john and i are going to kind of talk through what our first computers were and and we'll tell you a little bit about how we met and uh and just all of that it, it'll be a very self-serving episode but once we started dangling the concept out there, we actually heard from quite a few of you uh, indicating how you wanted to hear this. So there you go. That's what show number 100 is going to be. Um, it, the nice part, the nice treat for us is that we don't have to do, um, I, I was just going to say we don't have to do any prep, but I have to do prep. I don't mm. remember all this stuff. I'm going to need to sit down and, and write it. So, Oh, me too. Yeah, it'll just be a treat for us because it'll be fun. So there now, you go. Fortunately, yes. I have my email client, good old Eudora, and I think... You know, I'm gonna look here, but if I'm not I, mistaken, I looked. I looked the other day. The very first in email, my out folder, I have the first item dates back to '96. Uh, I've got one older than you. Mine, mine goes back to '94, I believe, <laughs> uh, maybe '93. But the first email I sent with Eudora, which was the the email client that I was using, was to you. So um, I I don't know if. It, I don't know if it can be read on the show. I'm not sure what I said, but but I definitely have it there. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. And like I said, how we met and the computers that we've had throughout the years and and all that good stuff. So we've had it. We we have someone who's who's uh, offering to give some software away in the uh, in show number 100, and we'll tell you about that in the show. But the way we're going to make it work is there are four pieces of software to be given away, and the way we're going to do it is two of Four. you, two, right. So two of you who send in, uh, we'd like lots of you to send in your uh, lists of computers that you've had since, you know, from what you started with to what you have today. You can do it as an audio comment or uh, an email. Either one is fine. Call 206-666-GEEK. You can email to four, feedback three, at Mac. 435. That's 4335. That's right. Or email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And uh, now what are we going for here? Are we going for oldest I think it's just most interesting. It's very subjective. Most interesting. Yeah, we we get to we get to pick. So I mean, because it yeah, could, hey. uh, you know, tell me, tell us your story, and uh, it and and we'll pick two of them, and uh, the two two of you that uh, that we read, will get uh, will get read on the show. Now, if you don't think that your history of computers is necessarily interesting, that's okay. You have a way of, of getting both involved in the show and winning some software as well. Because there are two more pieces of software that need to be given away. One, to the person who sends us the intro for the show. Neither John nor I will be doing the intro. It is going to be one of you. So, that's oh. one. The, <laughs> do you want to do it, John? Maybe we'll do two. And then the no. outro. No. We need yeah. variety. Here. We need variety. Yeah. So, and then the outro. You know the catchphrase at the end of the show. If you don't listen to the end of this one, it'll be there. We need one of you to deliver the catchphrase, and uh, and that will you. yes no, no. you you no not you you. 
Uh, or and, the other guy. And that will okay. also result in the uh, awarding of a piece of software. So, or a software license. So, there you go. Uh, with that said, I'm going to move on to Thad because we've talked a lot here. And Thad asked a question that is so near and dear to my heart that I couldn't possibly. I, I sent him a big long email about it and also put it in the show to talk about. Thad writes. Aloha from Hawaii. My wife and I have just signed a sales agreement for a new home that is being built. Congratulations. One option is to have the house wired for Cat 5. I feel that wireless will be so prevalent in the near future that wiring the house for Cat 5 now is unnecessary. Could you please share your thoughts? Thad, wire the house. It is so ridiculously cheap to run cable through the walls before there are walls that... The cost is almost negligible. It really is. I mean, you're going to need to run electrical power to, to all these walls, presumably. If you're doing that, running low voltage, uh, of course, you can't run it in the same conduit, but basically, you know, it's, it's the same guy, typically the same crew that's going to do it. Run cabling, run Ethernet cabling. It, this is, it, you have no idea what you'll use it for. Everything I've done, I run two it, to every drop. I run two pieces of, in the past, Cat5, and I think John's going to talk a little bit more more about that in a second here, but uh, I run two because you can use, you've got four pairs in each Cat5. Ethernet takes up two. Now, you're not supposed to put anything else on the other two for fear of putting noise in there, but you can if you're not overly concerned about signal quality. If you are overly concerned about signal quality, that's what the second one's for. Phone lines can run on one of those pairs. Uh, you can have all kinds of things out there. So uh, please, while before the sheetrock goes up, run the Cat5. It's not going to hurt. And man, when you decide down the road, you say, oh, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a drop in this wall here? It's a pain in the neck, and it'll cost you a fortune to do it after the, the sheetrock's up. It, for example, let's say you're building a big house, right? And you think that, oh, yeah, my wireless connection will work great. Well, let's say you've got a room where it doesn't work. If you already ran the Cat5, you can put a, you can buy another router for, you know, 79 bucks or 49 bucks or whatever it is, bridge them together and have two wireless routers, one running in one corner of the house, one running in the other, and you're good to go. Uh, so I, I absolutely would do it. Uh, y y no reason to drive yourself crazy. So there you go. John, you have something to add there to, after my, my, my raving uh -huh. lunatic speech here? That was pretty, pretty good on the lunatic scale. Um, no, I was going to ask one thing. I, you you may have dealt with uh, contractors more recently than I have because oh, yeah. my house when I bought it was wired with telephone, cable, uh, but no networking. But that was okay as long as I had the cable running and there's cable modems, of course. But of course. Um, would an electrician? I, I would think most yeah. electricians these days are probably okay, both with electrical wiring, which carries dangerous currents, yes. or running Cat5 or something. The, the thing I, I toss in is Cat5, I think, is older terminology. And I think what you want, want to make sure you don't get. So Cat5 is a specification for electrical multi, you know, twisted pair type cable that Dave was mentioning. You know, you have four or eight connectors. I think it's usually uh, with networking an RJ45 connector, yep. which uh, usually has eight. But you want to be careful. Uh, Cat5 implies support up to... I think 100 megabits a second or so. Then you yeah. have other categories, and I just want to clarify, just because you don't want to get, I mean, you might as well get, if you're going to get it wired at all, get as much capability. Now, I think Cat5e is technically the category of cable that you want because that will support up to 
uh, gigabit Ethernet. Yes. Yes. And then I think there's even Cat Six. So make sure. I mean, you may have somebody who is trying to unload some, you know, Cat Five stuff. Um, just check, you know, on the side of the cable there, because the the thing is, as the the frequency gets higher, certain cheaper cables, they, as we hinted at before, may not work that great or work, you know, in a substandard way, which will make you unhappy. So get as much as you can. I I think it's probably too early to do fiber. I wouldn't. Because yeah. I don't know about the standards for that. I think <clears throat> the fiber guy will do that. But definitely wire the place up because hardwired, at least in our lifetime, I think will always be faster than wireless. I Yeah, I'm going to have to agree say. There. Yeah. Yeah, even if it's copper cable and, and you know, that's that's the actually the advantage, I think, that the cable guys have over the telephone guys. The telephone guys, I mean, historically, telephone cable was pretty low-end, two-conductor copper Whereas, you know, if you look at just the two cables side by side, I mean, an RG, even an RG58 cable, I mean, there's a lot of metal there and a lot of shielding. And you can just imagine, and, and I think it's still the case where DSL and similar things, I mean, you're just running on, I think part of it is just generally lower quality uh, wiring. Yeah. So definitely yeah. wire it up. Wire it up, man. It can't hurt. It, it you know, I, I don't think the cost, I mean, especially if a guy running around running cable anyways, I don't think he'd mind. It just on an extra one just, yeah. just make sure they um the only thing i'd say is make sure they buzz it out and test it well, and make sure all the connections work uh well i don't yeah, know yeah yeah they can out for that because yeah I, my electrician here that that did all the work uh you know that we did after we moved in here in new hampshire mm -hmm. both in the studio and, and over in the house they didn't know how to terminate cat 5 into ethernet jacks right uh, so, which was fine and you can go to termination home and all that yeah that that yeah. gets to a point where you may want a electrician of it. Uh, well, <laughs> or no, it was guy fine. That knows that. No, he he ran all the cables, and I told okay. him, I said, just leave the stuff hanging out of the wall. I all went, right. I went down to Home Depot and got the little Leviton kits. You can terminate this stuff yourself with the little plastic thing. It does work. Just follow the B. There, there's A and B patterns for how you plug in the cables into these Leviton things. Use B. No one seems to use A. Ignore it. Use B, and. Uh, but as long as you use the same thing everywhere, it really doesn't matter. But B is the agreed upon standard, at least de facto standard. So, uh, but yeah, it's doable. You can do, you know, it takes maybe about four minutes to do one jack uh, and it'll get faster as you go. Uh, so if your electrician doesn't know how to terminate, just let him run the low voltage stuff and, uh, and terminate it yourself. It, it's not that difficult. Uh, and you'll, like I said, you'll be so okay. happy that you, and, and really you don't even have to terminate everything. You can just leave it in the wall, right, and put a, a, a faceplate mm. over it. And then when you decide, hey, I need that one, then right. terminate it. You're good to go. So that's uh, that's so, my story. Yeah. So you're hinting at, yeah, getting the uh, whoever installs the stuff. Yeah. When I said buzz it out, I mean, that's usually for electrical connections. Just make sure it's connected and it works. And, and yeah, right. as you pointed out, oh, yes, I finally remember actually my uh, – <laughs> Undergrad, one of my undergrad projects in double E involved a circuit, and you had to learn about terminating resistors. Oh, yeah. And how terminating a circuit helps yeah. because if you don't terminate it, it acts like a little antenna or a little. With, yeah. with with Ethernet, though, you don't have to. There's none of that. There's, it's not like SCSI termination or anything like that. When I said terminate, I just meant actually plug it into a, a jack. Take mm -hmm. the cable and, and, and terminate it to a jack that you could then plug something into. There's no resistor or anything uh, in this case. That's a different use mm -hmm. of the term. So, Got it. Yeah.
All right. Uh, we had more to get to, but we, you know, we got talking. So, Mike, uh, thank you for your comment, Mike. It, it will be, uh, we will address it in an upcoming show about Mac and Windows efficiency because it. If we can great... find him. Yeah, we got to find him. I think he's on the lamb. I know. Yeah, he should be on the lamb. <laughs> uh, so don't forget to send in all your stuff for our 100th show next week. Uh, let me look here. So we're talking intros and In- outros? Intro, outro, and... Uh, and Intro? And, and then the, your, your list of uh, computers owned, and uh, hopefully we'll do that. Oh, one thing I did want to ask about. Uh, Michael Johnston, who is our, our savior here for the Enhanced show has asked if anyone out there has juiced invites. Uh, if you do, send them our way. We'll forward them to Michael. And uh, I, I can't remember what his email address is, but I can look online quickly. But uh, just, no, just send them to feedback at macgeekgab.com. We'll get them and forward them right to Michael. Uh, he would he would love to check this out and was asking me uh, if I would ask all of you. So there you go. So you've got lots of homework, see. And uh, and so do we. Portable Media Expo. Uh, Portable Media and uh, Podcast uh-huh. and New Media Expo is what they're calling it. Sorry. Uh, it's happening September 28th to September 30th this year. I'm almost certain that John and I will be there again. Uh, so there In you beautiful go. Ontario? California. Cashfly Hosting is where you've downloaded this show. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. BB Edit from Barebones Software, one free download from Audible, but you got to click the link in the show notes, and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac. The Backbeat Media Podcast Network is not only where you can sponsor the show, but if you have a favorite vendor who you think would, has a product that would be great to be featured on the show, send them our way. Tell them. We're happy to do it. Uh, I mean, that's it. I'm going to... Uh, I'm, I'm done. Are you done, John? <laughs> I'm finished. Good. MacGeekGab uh, is the address to Skype things. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com and MacGeekGab.com for the show notes. We're out of here. We'll see you next week for number 100. Have a good week, John. One, zero, zero. You want to tell him? You tell him. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't be like Mike. Don't get caught. Made up.